0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have your Bible, would you open it to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18. We have been reading through the Bible in six months. We are at day 142 of 183, and so we've just got a little bit left. And we are reading through the Gospels. We finished um, the Gospel of Matthew and started the Gospel of Mark already this week. And so we are, we got the light at the end of the tunnel and that light is the eschatological train that is the book of Revelation. It's coming for you. Um, We're closing in and continuing to go through our series, binge the Bible and ask the Lord to speak to us from his word, uh, a word in season. And so that's what we've been doing. And Matthew chapter 18 and verses 15 to 20 jumped off the page at me this week. And I believe that this is something that the Lord wants to speak to each of us. And so I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. These may be familiar verses to you if you've been a Jesus follower for some time, but how long has it been since we've thought about them or compared our lives to them? Here's what it says, Matthew 18, 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 20 is a clear instruction from Jesus in his teaching about how to manage interpersonal conflicts. And if you've ever tried to study the Bible to get answers to how to handle personal conflict, you've probably run across Matthew chapter 18. If you're trying to be a Christian and know how to use your words, who to talk to when, how to deal with stuff when it comes up, you may have come to Matthew chapter 18, but typically we come to Matthew chapter 18 out of context. And I love reading the Bible in six months because in a matter of days, we read or listened to the entire Gospel of Matthew, and it stuck out to me for the first time ever that we are given these 28 short chapters about the most significant event that ever happened in the history of humanity, the fulfillment of everything that was spoken before in the previous 39 books of the Old Testament revealed over thousands of years, and contained in Matthew's Gospel is the genealogy and the nativity of Jesus and his birth, his miraculous birth, virgin birth, and all the way to his ministry, teaching, and his betrayal, execution, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, and closes with the Great Commission. I mean, this is an epic book, is it not? And in these short chapters, it stuck out to me for the very first time that of all the things that you have to choose not to say, it was in the heart of God that Matthew would keep these verses for us when it comes to how to deal with someone who's ticked you off. Has that ever stuck out to you before? Think about this section for just a second. Matthew chapter 18 flows out of some of the most epic revelation of the purposes of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, if you back up two chapters, in verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the revelation of who Jesus himself is. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they gave all the random answers that were on the street. Word on the street is, you're the resurrected John the Baptist. Word on the street is, you're a prophet. He said to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's his given name. Simon, which means shifty. Bar-Jonah, which means son of John. That's that's his earthy given name. The identity of who he knows himself to be is placed among the community in his lineage. He is Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. New name. You see that? Did you know that every single one of us who are followers of Jesus end up with a new name? Did you know that? Revelation chapter two, to the ones who conquer is given a stone and on the stone is a new name that no one knows except the one who gives it. Do you know that someday you're gonna get a new name? Peter got to know what his was early. Peter, you know why? You are Peter, and on this rock, petros means stone or rock, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see how powerful this is? This is the purpose and the activity of Jesus in the earth today. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is where all the um, St. Peter at the pearly gates jokes come from. You guys been in church for a while? You know these St. Peter at the pearly gates jokes? Have you heard any of those? Have you heard these? I'll give you one. There's a thousand of them. I'll give you one. A teacher... And a trash collector and a trial lawyer all die simultaneously. And they arrive at the same time at the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter. St. Peter tells them, Before I admit you into glory, you have to answer one of three successive questions. And so the trial lawyer sees that it'll be to his advantage to know the topic of these successive questions and the trend of these successive questions, and so he offers to go last. And so St. Peter says to the teacher, What famous ship hit an iceberg and sank in 1912? And of course, the teacher said, the Titanic, you may go in. And so St. Peter turns to the trash collector, who just so happened to have watched a documentary about the Titanic the night before he died, and said to him, how many people perished on the Titanic? And the trash collector says, well, truthfully, they didn't have a good manifest, and so no one knows the exact number, but it was somewhere around 1,500 people. And St. Peter says, right answer, you may come in. And then St. Peter turns to the trial lawyer and says, what were their names? <laughs> See how these go? Sorry, if you're here and you're a lawyer, I apologize. Uh, it's a pot shot, I get it. I also rip on used car salesmen and we have some of them here too at Christ Church. So. <laughs> Those are all these uh, ideas come from about Peter at the, having the keys to the kingdom. This is why he's the gatekeeper and the pearly gates is described in Revelation in the New Jerusalem, gates of stone, pearls, and all sorts of precious metals. And this is silly jokes, but um, this is a kind of a picture of where these things come from. And Matthew chapter 16 flows into Matthew 17, which is the transfiguration. Jesus comes down having revealed himself along with Elijah and Moses before James and Peter and John. And then he delivers a boy who's captivated by a demon that no one can cast out. And then there's this question about the temple tax. And Jesus instructs Peter to go catch a fish without bait in which he will find the coin for the temple tax. Have you ever caught a fish without bait? No. Have you ever caught a fish with money in its mouth? No. Jesus does two impossible things. He's demonstrating his power in his revelation. And Matthew 18 opens with the, the disciples now recognizing the distinction and the power of Jesus in his coming kingdom. And so they're having an internal conversation about who, which of them will be the greatest. That's how Matthew 18, one starts. Uh, who's the most important person? Who's the greatest person? And so Jesus places a child in the midst of them and says, right here, here's an eight-year-old, this is is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And unless you become like one of them, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus starts a stream of thought where he starts thinking through the impact of our influences on children. This is where Jesus goes full gangster Jesus. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the sea. Ooh, violent Jesus. Wowzer. How do you really feel about it? He starts talking about The preservation of wholeness and holiness and a pursuit that moves toward God and not away from God. And it's in the context of chapter 18 that Jesus then gives the parable of the lost sheep and shows that this is the Father's heart of God to go looking for that which is valuable and also lost and to return it and to bring it home. This should be the impulse of the Christian church. And yet oftentimes we allow our small differences, petty disagreements, and offenses to create divisions and breakdown. And we actually hurt each other greatly. And we're actually more known for that than for being the compassionate pursuers that jesus has called us to be and in chapter 15 jesus recognizing this fact gives us these very very clear directions about what to do when you have an actual sin against you you go to the person who offended you and you try to work it out between the two of you alone And if you can't, then you bring another person in, and so you keep that as small and quiet as possible. But the goal is to establish truth, and so there are witnesses involved. And if you still can't win the person whom you feel has offended you, then you bring it into a larger group of people. Here, the second time Jesus uses the word church, but he means those who have an interest in the success of this relationship and who can, as a community, attest to the validity of this concern. Jesus says do that, and if that person still doesn't respond, then what you have is a person who does not have spiritual life among you, and so don't consider them a brother. Consider them someone who needs to be evangelized, not fellowshiped with. Do you understand? It's very, very clear. And then Jesus goes on to to spell out the reality that when we do this, we are engaging with the realities of heaven. When you are doing this process of reconciliation with other people, heaven is involved. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And he makes this promise at the end that when you gather this way with even two or three of you in my name, that means doing the things I told you to do, I am there with you. We throw that verse around a lot. When two or three are gathered together, that's always the go-to verse when no one shows up to your Bible study, yeah. right? When you have a prayer meeting and it's three of you, you're like, well, at least Jesus is also here, you know? The truth, though, is that he was talking about showing up when you're trying to do the hard work of working on a conflict. That's when he promised to be there. Now, this is really simple, and this comprises a very simple sermon I've taught over and over and over again in the past 22 years, that whenever we have an offense with someone, the only biblical appropriate way to respond it is to... Or with and never about. So this is the constraining speech for every believer, every professor of Jesus ought to only ever communicate to a person who's offended them and maybe sometimes with another person and never talk about that person. Did you know that? Ever. Never. Never. Now, this passage requires courage, To actually have a conversation instead of running away from it. It requires love because you have to be interested in the future of that relationship. It requires faith because you have to believe that God's going to intervene and you are going to find peace. And it requires hope that things will get better. But it also motivates us to overlook a lot of really unimportant things because most of the things that cause strife between us are not sins. Did you know that? 90% of of the things that we get in little tiffs over have to do with preference, perspective, things we're passionate about, things we overlooked, things we missed, they're not sinful at all. And if we actually were committed to working out every single thing that came between us and another person, a lot of things we would be, we would all be singing Elsa, let it go, right? (laughs) It's not that important. And so as we consider our movement through Matthew's gospel and the fact that Jesus chose out of all the things he said and did, the Holy Spirit directed Matthew to record these words of Jesus in the setting of the mission of the church of returning that which is lost and and the value of leading people towards life and not splintering it and leading it astray and how serious that is to Jesus. This is one of the most important things that we can think about. And unfortunately, the inverse is actually true. Christians are no better and possibly worse when it comes to gossip and chatter and even sometimes slander. Do you know that? I'm just going to say it because I'm talking about us. This is not a sermon about other people. I'm talking about us. This is a major issue. And and gossip is a cancer to the Christian church. Do you know this? I wrote a whole sermon series called Church Killers. I haven't preached it yet. When I started it, there were three church killers. And then there were five. And now there are seven. There may be nine before I actually get it out there. But gossip is one of those things that will literally destroy a church. And here Jesus gives us such clear direction about what we should do with our problems when we have one. And it's very simple. To and with and never about. My son, Julian, he's six. He's on the front seat. He can remember that. To and with and never about. (laughs) Buddy, how should we handle conflict? To and with and never about. See, it's not complicated at all, but it is hard. Somebody say amen. Amen. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so there should be some constraining in our, in our words, and there ought to be some thoughtfulness to our words. There's also a gravity to this process because it provides a clear pathway to public expulsion of a person in persistent sin and no longer having the affirmation of the community regarding the genuineness of their faith. It's a, simple, it's a serious matter, right? I grew up in a church that was really serious about church discipline. I saw one adult get baptized in 10 years, but I watched five people be put out of the church. Oh, easy. Easy, I think your priorities are off here a little bit. But listen, here's how serious this is. And I'm I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I'm gonna read to you an excerpt from a letter that I wrote to several leaders in our church confronting some gossip that reached my ears about some conflict that was going on. The, the conflict was not a big deal. The gossip to me was. And so I invited them all because it involved all of them to a small meeting where we could actually work it out the way that Jesus described. And I'm reading to you without any names, a letter, portion of a letter that I wrote to all of them because I want you to hear how important this is. Also, I'm reading it to you because I want you to know that um, I work Monday through Sunday as a pastor. Some people, they're like, what's it like to have a job where you only work one day a week? Like, uh, that's not how this works at all, by the way. <laughs> Kids all the time, they say, what's your other, what's your real job? What do you do? <laughs> is, that, is that how you think this works? Okay. Here's the letter. Uh, it's imperative that we all come together in love and address the conflict together at this point. The reason is that whether you like it or not, once you have participated in conversations surrounding the conflict or concerns... Your perceptions of and relationships to the person you've talked about are immutably altered for the worse. Gossip is, however innocently motivated, incredibly destructive to personal relationships and a cancer to teams like ours. Jesus gave us very specific and simple instructions about how to handle interpersonal conflict in Matthew 18. We are commanded to talk to the person who's offended us and never about that person. If our attempt is unsuccessful at restoring the relationship, then we go again with another person. And if that attempt is unsuccessful, we widen the conversation to include others who have an interest in the health of the relationship and the community as a whole. Every time I have seen this done well, it has led to resolution and restoration. Every time I have seen this avoided, and instead of direct communication, there's been sideways conversations about the offense or concerns, it has led to the end of relationships and the detriment of the church. I take this very seriously and maintain a standard on my team that there be no conversations about a person that ought to be a conversation with that person, period. I am always happy to help any team members in a conflict after an unsuccessful first attempt, and I'm happy to facilitate a larger conversation if that doesn't work, as well as supplying a professional counselor or mediator. Now, let me say, no one is in trouble or going to be punished or expelled. That's not my heart. I'm not mad at any of you or seeking to distance myself from you. On the contrary, I personally value each of you as dear friends, and I treasure my relationship with each of you. I want to enjoy serving together and sharing community with you all for years to come. I love you all very much, and I'm eager to bring us together in love to refresh and restart. I look forward to hearing from each of you. But that meeting never happened, and all of those people have now left Christ Church. It doesn't have to be this way. Do you know that? It doesn't have to be this way. It does require courage. It does require love. It does require faith but when we obey Jesus, God shows up. When we lean into what matters most to Jesus, relationships, God shows up. Listen, I can't change your heart, I don't try. Only God can do that. But when I do what God's called me to do and say what God's called me to say, God does things that are so far outside of my control and it's like that in every arena of life. Do you know this? And so I wanna just appeal to you, Christ Church, If you have a problem with a person, go to that person. I had a a guest in first service that came up to me and said, he has been in a conflict with his son for months and has not spoken to him. And today he's calling his son because of this, because he believes this to be true. Now listen, I love Ephesians 4.29 because it just says, don't let any of these corrupting words come out of your mouth. And I'm here to tell you, this this can be a lot easier than you think. Let's just do a couple small baby steps. Do you guys like baby steps? I like baby steps. Um, here's the first baby step that will cut out 90% of the drama out of your life. Shut up. Okay? Just, just shut up. Shut, shut your mouth. 90% of what you say does not need a meeting. Can I say amen to that? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I mean, it's... The scriptures say in Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, the quarreling ceases. And here's the indication. You guys write for this? Have you ever had this happen? Hey, how are you doing? Good. How was that thing you guys did last week? Oh, it was good. I saw so-and-so there. And then they go, you know what happened with so-and-so? <laughs> you ever notice how the tone, the volume comes down? That's your clue, okay? That's your clue right there. So number one is just shut your mouth. And that solves 90% of the problem. Here's another 8% of the problem. Shut your ears. Yeah. Shut your ears. This is so hard, but we've got to be the people who are willing to do this, okay? We've got to be the willing, willing to be people who go, the gossip you are about to say is not only bad for you, it's bad for me. I don't want to hear it. It's destroying the view I have of the person you are objectifying, and it's doing nothing to restore that conversation. So I want to become Christian people who are godly enough to interrupt somebody who's starting on a rant. Can we do that? Could we possibly do that? I have an acronym for this because I have an internal aversion to doing this. Do you guys have an internal aversion to doing this? I find it's very hard when someone starts in on a rant, I have this impulse to sympathize with what they're going through, to go, oh man, you were really hurt or offended by this person. And I care about you because you're in front of me and I wanna let you vent and I wanna be here to be your friend and say, that was terrible, I can't believe they did that. You're such a great person, I would never do that to you. And so you have this sympathy. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? What do you do with that sympathy? And so you just listen and you go, well, I'm not gonna spread it. And I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to participate in it. But, I'm, but I don't want to stop that, right? And so I use this acronym. And it's helpful because the acronym is sympathy. And this is my acronym. By the way, I wrote this. If you find this online, they stole it from me, okay? <laughs> sympathy. Here it is. Ready? Shut your mouth, please, and tell her yourself. Do you understand that? That's what helps me when I'm feeling that sympathetic response to a person who is talking. I go, oh, my sympathy response I need to tell them to stop. Now, listen, don't say this out loud. This will start a whole new conflict. The please in the middle is just a memory tool. It does not soften the shut your mouth, okay? This is for your inside of your brain, not on the outside of you. So don't say this out loud. But this should signify when someone starts talking bad about another person for you to go, you know what, let me stop you right there. You know what? I actually care about you too much and that person too much and my own soul to listen to that. And so if you need to talk to them, go talk to them. And if it doesn't go well, I'll go with you. I care about both of you. I mean, I don't know if you'll do that or not. That may be an empty promise, but I'm just saying, minimally, if we stop talking and if we learn to interrupt people so that we're not listening, we have just narrowed down the bandwidth of things that need to be worked out into the church into a very feasible margin. Do you know that? And this is something that we can actually build with. Now, that's all true and pragmatic, but I also wanna leave you with understanding God's perspective of the matter. Listen to Psalm 101, verse five. You know how God feels about this? Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. You know, God is not above killing people. Do you know that? Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body only, fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. Like what? That's kind of harsh, Jesus. Are we talking about here? Are we Are talking about God? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They decided to lie to the Holy Spirit for their own reputation in the early church. God's like, Drop dead, drop dead. How's that for church discipline? Imagine if we just had instant death. Talk about being slain in the spirit. (laughs) Just like that. Listen, I don't wanna live a life where God's more glorified with my immediate demise. Do you understand this? Doesn't mean he's not gonna accept me. Doesn't mean I'm not his child. Doesn't mean I'm not gonna go to heaven. I just don't wanna die today. Somebody say amen. This is how much God cares about this. I will destroy that person. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure them. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, at least, and then seven that are an abomination to him. I bet six of them you agree with, but I wonder about the last one. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These are the things God hates. But the other side of that coin is that God is super eager to jump in and help when we have the humility and the courage and the love to actually try to work something out. He says, you're connected to heaven, and I will show up when you will have these discussions. And so for the Christian, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 to 20 should give us a zero tolerance policy for rumors, gossip, slander, petty criticism, and overall negativity in our speech. And so I want you to use the sympathy reminder to not listen. And I also just wanna challenge you for a second to think about your words. Ephesians four twenty nine says, no, let, let no corrupting or rotting or destroying words come out of your mouth, but only those who build up. The reality is, and this is consistent in the rest of the scriptures, every word you say is either building up or tearing down. Did you know that? There is no neutral words. And if you think there are, your tone of voice will do one or the other. Do you realize this? Your words are either tearing down or building up. And so if we can shut our mouths every time we're thinking about saying a negative thing, we can stop the delivery of little containers of death. Do you realize this? Our words are either little containers of life or little containers of death. And what if we could shut down all of the little containers of death immediately? Imagine how quickly the works and purposes of God would be fulfilled in the earth. I've used this illustration before, but you can imagine for one second, what if FedEx, UPS, DHL, Amazon, USPS stopped delivering packages today? What would happen to the world economy? We would all feel it, wouldn't we? What would happen if the church of Jesus stopped delivering little packages of death everywhere we went? And what if we put our attention and the use of our words into delivering life into every single person that we engage with? How quickly would the world around us change? Listen, husbands, let me tell you something. This, this works in your marriage too. Just stop criticizing your wife. Watch what happens. Stop. Try it for one day. She'll be like, I don't know why I love you so much at the end of that day. What happened? Stop delivering little packages of death. Wives, same thing. Just, just stop them. Stop them. Just try. Just keep them to yourself for one day and watch what happens. You will notice difference immediately. And so it's simple. To and with and never about. You got a problem? Just don't talk about it except to the person who needs to hear. To and with, never about. This acronym I stole from the internet. It's not mine. Do not take credit for it. Think before you speak. Think. T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Does it give grace? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Those are really good things to think about before we allow words to come out of our mouths. When, um, when I was growing up, my mom, uh, she has amazing, phenomenal um, values and gifts. She is an incredible woman, my mom. I'd love for you to meet her someday. Uh, but um, cooking is not one of them. And uh, So she made sure we were all fed. She fed us daily, and so that was good. But um, the food itself, the value and the flavor of the food, not so great. But when I was in high school, she started going through this like culinary phase where she wanted to learn to cook good, which I, I think everyone should do that. Um, and so I remember she went through this phase where she was making Thai food. She was making all this Thai food. And I remember coming home one day, and she's got this Thai meal. It was some kind of like peanut sauce pizza with curry. I just don't think you should mix Italian and Thai. This is my personal <laughs> preference. But she had made this pizza, and Set it all out, and um, we're, we're all eating it because we're kids and we're hungry. And all of us older kids are like looking at each other with that look like, are we, is this safe? Like, I don't know. This is, this doesn't even taste like food. This feels like, this feels wrong. And my youngest brother, who at the time was five years old, he said out loud, we were all thinking, this is disgusting. <laughs> we were like, yeah. And my mom, great mom, she said, um, son, if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything at all. And he said, mom, I have nothing nice to say. <laughs> and so I know that this can be done. Listen, I started this sermon with a stupid lawyer joke, partially because it connected to my text, um, but, but also because this is not just a practical tool to make your interpersonal relationships improve. And a lot of times it's packaged that way. You want to have more Peace. You want to have better relationships, better communication? This is is what Jesus said you should do. No, this is a tactic of the enemy that will destroy the mission of Jesus through his church. Now, Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, but the enemy will deploy every single tactic in his power to mute us and to shut us down and to divide us and to break us at every single juncture. Do you know that? He's not stopping And so my question for you is not what were the names of the people who died on the Titanic. Do you know that last year, 9,315 Volusia County residents died? Volusia County residents, 9,315. See, we're the ones who are supposed to know their names. We're the ones who are supposed to be delivering good news of great joy for all people right here. But we spend too many of our times running our mouths and breaking up our friendships and trying to find a new church to go to than we do loving each other, overlooking a bunch of stuff, shutting our mouths, working stuff out when need be, and mobilizing ourselves to make a difference for the people that God has sent us here to care for. So this is no small thing. It's also no small thing because the way that we choose to live our lives and love other people is the main way in which God demonstrates his glory in this age. Do you know this? Our commission as Christians is not just to preach the gospel and to teach people to obey what Jesus commanded. We are supposed to be living in such a way that we make the invisible God visible, that his attributes become our attributes, that we are fathers who love gently, that we are husbands who are dedicated faithfully, that we are children who honor our parents respectfully, that we are employees who are trustworthy, that we are business owners and leaders with integrity, that we value people more than things, that we live by courage and faith and love and hope. And when we live that way, people get to see a different kind of humanity, the humanity that's reflection of the God who made it. And so the visibility and the value of God, listen, our world is filled with so many people who hate God. Do you know that? They hate him. They don't even know him, but they can't see him. And sometimes we're actually part of obscuring who he truly is. And so I wanna be a part of a community of people that lives life in such a way that makes God visible, even if it means I lose friends. I wanna be a part of a community of people who value the person in front of me and I don't turn them into an object to be talked about. I wanna be a person who's not distracted by trying to work out petty conflict with other people about things that don't matter because I hurt someone's feelings with my joke or my tone of voice when 10,000 people a year are dying right around me and I have the news that's gonna bring them to the presence of God. And aren't you glad there's no test at the pearly gates by the way, isn't that good? (laughs) Do you know Jesus? Yes, come on in. In fact let me show you to your room your name's on it god i thank you so much for your word lord jesus how beautiful you are how wise how important these words are and thank you for speaking them and preserving them and holy spirit for empowering them in us today and i just pray lord that as these words find a home in our hearts that they would convict us where need be god that we would just just very quickly be talking less and very quickly be getting over things and not taking things too seriously and and very quickly mustering up the courage to maybe have that first conversation, that courageous conversation that we have never done. Maybe having the, the courage to interrupt someone and say, you know what, I actually don't wanna hear about that. Can we talk about something different? And Lord, I especially pray for any person who's in my hearing who does not know you Lord, maybe they've had their view of you obscured by the immaturity and the disobedience or unfaithfulness of other Christian people. Um, But there you are, that does not change you at all. You made them, you love them. Lord Jesus, you died to save them, and there's a hope and a future. And there's beautiful instruction for a life well lived. And God, we want to live that life. And so, would you have your way in us? In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Hey, if the Lord was calling you, drawing you out, and you're not a Jesus follower yet, our prayer teams are here. They would be honored to lead you in a prayer of repentance and help you take next steps. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week.